Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. Coaching is such a vital part of sports and impacts not only the outcomes of the competition, but the performance of the athletes who receive that coaching. There are countless examples of athletes at all levels reaching their full potential or changing their trajectory based on a connection with the coach. More importantly, especially at lower levels of athletics, coaches have an enormous impact on the young people that they lead. Most of us that have played sports can recount an experience with a coach that has colored the way we approach situations, instilled us with particular skills, or given us a broader outlook on both sports and life. For me, my high school baseball coach ingrained in all his players how to approach every situation with respect and humility, which is something that stuck with me to this very day. Unfortunately, that's not always the case for all athletes and all coaches, and we far too often see stories of coaches that have the opposite impact on their players. Our guest today, Jason Sachs, is someone who's working to ensure that coaches have the ability to provide those positive experiences to all athletes. Jason is the president of the Positive Coaching Alliance. Positive Coaching Alliance is a national nonprofit with the mission to transform the culture of youth and high school sports. Their goal is to use positive sports experiences to develop better athletes and better people. Positive Coaching Alliance partners with local schools and youth sports organizations by conducting workshops and providing education, tools, and resources for administrators, coaches, parents, and student athletes. In that role, Jason oversees all activities pertaining to Positive Coaching Alliance's field operations, development and business development, including annual giving, major gifts, new chapter expansion, and national and corporate partners. Before coming to Positive Coaching Alliance, Jason worked in sports television with TWI, part of IMG, as a production assistant and segment producer. Additionally, Jason worked in the New York University Athletic Department as an assistant basketball coach, as well as in the Sports Information and Promotions Office. Jason holds an undergraduate degree from Syracuse University's SI Newhouse School of Public Communications and a master's degree in sports management from New York University. If all that wasn't enough, Jason is an adjunct professor at Northwestern University's Master's of Sports Administration program and is a member of the Syracuse University Chicago Regional Council. We're incredibly grateful to have Jason as part of the show today and more importantly, as part of the MSA program as a whole. So we hope you all enjoyed this conversation with Jason Sachs. Jason, thanks so much for taking the, the time to join us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, Bryce. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. I think there's a lot of really cool things that we can talk about. And before we really dig down into the, the Positive Coaching Alliance stuff, can you take us back, rewind back to sort of how you got into sports and, and where you are today? Yeah, so I mean, I like many people, I, I grew up playing tons of sports. I uh, was the youngest of three, so spent majority of my weeknights and weekends like chasing around my older siblings at you know ball fields. My parents were involved in coaching and uh, booster clubs and things like that. So sports was such a big part of my life. Early on, um, for some reason, I fell in love with Syracuse University, like when I was in third or fourth grade, growing up in Southern New Jersey, like no real connection there, but 
um, there was that. And then also I wanted to be a sports announcer. Like that was just, I thought that was the coolest thing. And so from fourth grade on, I was like, I'm going to go to Syracuse and I'm going to be a sports announcer. Uh, applied to Syracuse, the only school I applied to, got in to the Newhouse School, was a broadcast journalism major, worked in um, at WAER, which is the, the famous radio station there, um, got to call football, uh, basketball, across games, was sitting courtside when Syracuse won the national championship with Carmelo Anthony. That was my senior year. Um, and then went on to work in TV production um, in New York City. So was working for TWI, which is the production arm of IMG. So we were working on things like the U.S. Open, um, some pre-NBC Olympic coverage. We did an event at the 2004 NBA All-Star Games in L.A. honoring Magic Johnson when they unveiled his statue outside uh, then the Staples Center. Um and it was just something that I like was around all these big events, New York City Marathon. Um, but while I was at all those events, I felt very one track mind of just TV. And I'm like, man, there's this whole other ecosystem happening at these big sports events. And I want to learn more about that. So that was one thing. And then the other thing was I missed being around like a sports team, like where I, where I was coaching. I, I loved basketball was my main sport. I during college. Um, I always came back and helped the high school basketball team where I went. And so coaching and that was always something that I missed. So I ended up applying to grad school um, and got into NYU. They had a sports management graduate program, very similar to the one at Northwestern. Um, got in there, started working in sports information at NYU, which is a Division three school in the UAA, um, which is a great conference. University of Chicago, Wash U, Brandeis, um, Emory. And um, and then started coaching basketball. I was an assistant coach there. And I was like, great, I'm going to sort of go this basketball coaching route. Ended up getting a, um, a role with the Knicks while I was in grad school in basketball operations. I thought I wanted to go video coordinator, you know, and then work my way up, scout, coach, potentially. Learned a lot while I was at MSG. Like, that, that could be a whole other podcast of everything from – culture to just the the inner workings of a team and things like that um and i was just wondering i was like i don't know if i'm going to put all, ready to put all my eggs in that basket um got done with school moved back home with substitute teaching and coaching high school basketball and randomly found this job posting in 2006 for a nonprofit organization called positive coaching alliance um they were looking to expand into the East Coast, like they didn't have a presence in New Jersey or New York or Philadelphia. Um, I had no idea what a nonprofit organization was, but the mission really resonated with me. I was like, hey, this is the way that I coach, way I, the way I was raised. This is really interesting. And they're looking for a partnership person that if they want to build up their presence with schools and new sports organizations in on the East Coast, like that's going to be on my shoulders and, and that competitive nature and that business development type of mentality. I was like, I'm going to go make a run at this. And that was 2006. And, you know, 16 years later, here I am, uh, a couple different roles with the organization. I've been able to grow professionally as we've grown. Um, I joined the organization when they were about eight years old and, um, you know, we're coming up on 23, 24 years now. So um, I've been lucky that there's always been opportunities for new challenges in my role and we can get into some of the different roles that I've had as we talk. So it's a really interesting evolution, right? I think 
Yeah. And you could see some of the, the, the media stuff be actually playing into well what oh, you do today, right? Totally. 100%. I mean, I talk about that. Like a lot of my role right now is fundraising and business development. And I mean, we're a, a nonprofit organization. We're mission-based. We need to tell the stories and we need to know who we're sitting down with, like in any role that you have. But the amount of um, skills that I took from that broadcast journalism major, everything from like the research that we're doing on individuals, the storytelling, connecting with people, the stewardship of relationships, like that is my day to day. And I, I think from, you know, it's funny from being a broadcast journalism major to, you know, like working in, I'm from Southern New Jersey. And so working in a restaurant, like in the summer where people vacation and you're like in front of people all the time, that was such a great experience too. So everything that I've done has sort of put in place the, the roles that I've had. And that's, I think the most important thing is you're always taking from different experiences that you have. Do you have any part of the broadcasting piece that you really miss? You know, I, I've luckily been able to find ways to um, to do things like I've done podcasts, we've hosted podcasts, like I've been on camera, I, I do a, a good amount of public speaking. So I think that's there. And actually, when I was in college, my junior year, I had an internship at HBO Sports in New York. And that's when I made the decision that I don't want to be on camera because being on camera as a local sports person, you probably have to go to like the middle of nowhere and do, you know, like four minutes a day on the local news on some local sporting event, probably high school or small college, until you got to work your way up to the bigger markets. And I was like, I want to be where the action is right away. So seeing the production side of, hey, I could just go to New York and start working on the US Open and all these big events, like that's where I want to be. I don't necessarily need to be on camera. So I think it's, it, luckily I've found something where I could still do a lot of the things I loved uh, part of that that experience. So it's really interesting to see how again that transition into and if you look at it on paper with the goal, that's an interesting transition, but that makes a lot of logical sense, right? When you talk yeah. about the skills that you had to build from there, but sort of tell us what you do, what Positive Coaching Alliance does, and sort of the mission around that, but then how that's wrapped into what you do on a day to day basis. Yeah, so Positive Coaching Alliance, we're a, a nonprofit organization, and our um, our goal is to really change the culture of youth sports so that every child, regardless of their social or emo uh, social or economic circumstance, has access to a positive youth sports experience. But you know, probably plenty of people that are listening to this podcast um, played some youth sports growing up or high school sports. Um, what people don't realize is that 35 to 40 million kids play youth sports every year. So outside of schools. It's the largest institution where kids gather and it's so segmented and fragmented. And, um, and so there's this, I think there's this loss of opportunity of using it for the right reasons. Cause when it's done right, it can teach things that stay with kids long after their playing days are over. But if you look at the actual business of youth sports, it's like a $30 billion industry. And in many cases, it's gotten out of control. So what PCA is trying to do is partner with schools and youth sports organizations, um, community organizations, any community, and really provide tools and resources for that ecosystem within youth sports, whether it's organizational leaders, coaches, parents, student athletes themselves, officials, here are tools and resources that you can use this experience 
to not just focusing on the winning and losing, but focusing on all the other skills that cut will come from this experience. And that's to say, we're not anti-competition. We're not, everyone gets a trophy. We are, how do you strive to win and compete at the highest level, but do it in the right way so that it's more than just, I mean, it's a virtual classroom and we need to treat it like that. So, so that's the, yeah. So that's the, the, the gist of PCA. And, and I've been with PCA for 16 plus years. My current role is the president. We just went through a merger with another nonprofit organization, which is, uh, which, you know, going into nonprofits, you never think you're going to be involved in a merger. So that's been a really fun and interesting and challenging experience over the last year. But I think that's also something that we're going to look back on. And hopefully we're a leader in the industry of saying, oh, wow, look, two nonprofits can come together and, and be more efficient and have the dollar go further. What's so interesting is that if you look at coaches on a higher level, right, yeah. from, a, from a professional level, from a college level, we put so much emphasis and thought into them, the money they make, the impact they have, sure. all of those things. But if you get down to it at, at a high school and below level, yeah. we oftentimes think, oh, some guy's dad's coaching this team, right? Mm-hmm. But it really is that level where you can ingrain so many things in kids at such formidable age and to have like you said that positive experience is such a big thing you and i had talked previously about how, yeah you know i had as a kid i had such positive experiences with coaches and some of those things that they have taught me are still with me today how you approach things like you said the experience of winning and losing and how yeah. you deal with those still there today and so it, it's really cool to see the focus on that because you're right it, it's incredible how much impact one person can have from a coaching at that level. And we don't think about that often. I mean, youth sports coaches like make or break the experience for kids, right? There are so many kids that will leave the sport because of the actions of a coach. And it could just be, you know, so at the youngest level, my wife and I, we have six and a half year old twins and like I'm coaching them in youth sports right now. I've coached high school and college basketball. Um, now coaching, you know, six year olds, the only goal of mine is to make sure that those kids come back next year, right? Because at this age, there's a little skill teaching, but it is just, it's fun. It's out there. It's meeting other people. It's interacting. It's learning the sport a little bit. But if they're having fun on Saturday mornings playing soccer for an hour, like, great. Our job is has been completed, right? So I think that's really important. As kids get older, there's going to be those coaches that make or break the out experience and one bad experience can have a child drop out of sports and then then what like then what are they getting into so how can we make it and how can we equip the coaches and parents and all those involved in the experience to make sure that they know what it takes and you, and you mentioned right like there are a lot of volunteer moms and dads that are out there coaching that have many other things in their life that they need to worry about and somebody says hey we need a coach And so what are they thinking about? They're thinking about, okay, how was I coached when I was younger? Or what are the coaches on TV doing, right? And those, you know, times have evolved. And if you're watching a professional or college coach, like that's entertainment. That's completely different outcome that they're focusing on than what we're focusing on at the youth sports level. And again, it's not to say that winning isn't important, but there's a lot more that we need to focus on. So again, it goes to how can we empower those coaches and, and those involved to feel like, they are in control and they're equipped with the, the things that they need to provide that great experience to their team and to their kids. The gears are really turning for me because if you look at, we'll take a walk and we live close to a park, you walk yeah. out of the park and you see dads out coaching, you talk about that outcome being different. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that gets translated to most people that, again, like you said, are volunteering to do this because the outcome for them is, okay, we're here, we're out here, we want to win, okay. But it's such a great mindset to think the goal is to get them to come back next year and play. Get them to come back, right? Exactly. And and so it's, and and as they get older, right, there's there's more opportunity for them to learn the sport. We talk about like um, stages of child development and new sports. And the first one is that romantic stage where, um, you know, kids just love kicking the ball in the backyard or, you know, basketball, you know, is, is big in our family. And I remember when our kids were, you know, three years old and we have hardwood floors in our house and I'm like, sure, dribble the ball. Like, I just want you to it love dribbling the ball. Right. And so they can just go and dribble. And I'm not going to worry about the technical aspect of it. I just want them to build that joy and love for the game. And then when they're ready, we can start talking about some of the the actual technical side of things. But I think that's the important thing. It all comes down to expectations, right? And I think what, what's happened is in youth sports in general is we move kids out of that romantic stage very early and very quickly, and we get them to that technical stage. And that starts to focus on, okay, they're seven years old. We have 10 kids that are really good in this youth soccer program. Let's create a travel team and let's start traveling every weekend and then it, it, what eventually happens is it leads to burnout. Kids, you know, become either physically or mentally burned out. And, you know, and then kids sometimes will start to specialize in one sport. And so it's like, how do we make sure that kids are playing multiple sports, not necessarily multiple sports in the same season, because that, that happens as well. But I think it has been this race to, for parents, and I think that's a big part of it, parents are saying, you know, I want to give my kids the best possible opportunity. Like maybe they can get a college scholarship, right? So if they want to start the varsity team in high school, we need to be putting in that time and investment when they're in third, fourth, and fifth grade. And if they're not doing a travel soccer team by fourth grade, there's no way that's going to happen, which which isn't, isn't true. But I think that's the mindset that a lot of people have, that if we're not sort of like always progressing and moving forward, then my kid's going to get left behind. But there are plenty of examples of, you know, people playing multiple sports and picking up a sport late and still being able to, you know, play at the highest level. And guess what? Like, even if they don't play at the highest level, that's fine too. So uh, how do we, how do we make sure that we're gauging and and calibrating the expectation the right way? You led me to something that I'm really curious about in sort of that ecosystem of sports. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see today, and I think we had it when we were kids too, that those AU teams existed. Yeah. Right? yeah, and, and, yeah. But it's such an economy around that now. And sure. I mean, you see in social media that the yeah. fifth grade kid, best fifth grade player in, in the country. How does, how does someone even know that? It seems that the, the focus in youth sports can get pretty twisted in that sense. That the overall question in that is, what do you think the state of youth sports is today? Are, yeah. are we in a good spot? Is it something that needs a lot of work? Or, or how do we sort of sit today? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a really good question. And it's something that um, there is... I think the one good thing and the, the one thing that I really enjoy about teaching as part of the program at Northwestern is, you know, bringing awareness to this youth sports space and also and more specifically like sports-based youth development, because I think there are a lot of people that would like what what's happening in the space and they just don't know it exists. Right? They come in, they, I want to work in sports. I'm going to work for a team. I'm going to work for a league. I'm going to work for an athletic department, whatever it might be. But I think the, the interesting thing is, is like there's so much money being dumped into this and to use sports right now. Um, we're never going to go back to the way it was when you and I grew up. 
So I think what's been interesting for PCA and one of the things that I really like about my one of my roles is like the partnerships that we have with the professional sports leagues or national governing bodies. And so I think the one positive thing is that there's a lot of attention on youth sports right now for a lot of different reasons, but there's a lot of money coming into it. So if we can figure out the right way to use that money and set up right the right guidelines and expectations and things like that, then I think we can continue to do good with, with what we're trying to do in youth sports. One example is like we work with Major League Baseball, we work with the NBA, and both of them have a really like they've made a commitment and an investment to youth sports. And I think it started probably back in, you know, 2014 or so when Commissioner Manfred took over MLB as the commissioner and he said, my number one priority is youth sports. And the reason is a business decision, right? There's a lot of studies out there. If kids start playing sport uh, baseball at a certain age and they play for X amount of years, they're going to become a lifelong fan. How do we make the game fans younger, more engaged, that, that type of thing. The other thing was, okay, if we can, the other thing they wanted to do is increase the diversity within baseball, right? It was a, a heavily, you know, affluent community. There were not a lot of black baseball players coming into Major League Baseball in the inner city. There wasn't access to the game. So they started a program called RBI, Reviving Baseball in Inner Cities. And one of the thoughts that they had was, if we get the kids out to the field and they are playing, and then it becomes the adult, whether it's the coach or a parent, that make that experience bad that the kid doesn't want to come back, then that's our fault as MLB for not providing more resources. So that's where our partnership started with uh, with MLB. And so they invest in our program and our training and our partnerships to help RBI programs and other youth baseball organizations provide that good experience so kids keep on coming back and continue to learn the game. The NBA relaunched their whole junior NBA program about six, six years ago. And I think they saw a void. There isn't that one governing body for youth basketball. You know, if you look at soccer, you have USU soccer, you have US club soccer, you have a lot of different organizations with baseball, you have little league, you know, which is a big one. Then you, you know, you have some others there with basketball. It was just like, it could be run through a local park and rec. It could be run through the YMCA. So there's all these different things. So they, they saw a void of, Hey, we know that there are a lot of horror stories about AAU basketball, which PCA, we work with AAU and AAU wants to provide coach training to their members. So we're talking about how can we do more of that? But what the, the junior NBA and the NBA um, launched maybe four years ago, and it's been impacted by COVID, but they, they launched what they call the junior NBA global championship. And they've created almost like the little league world series for basketball, but they also realized we want to make this a tournament that is done the right way. So it's not kids playing three games a day and seven games in two days. And we're going to do off the court programming, focusing on life lessons and character development and things like that. So I think that's one of the exciting things and why I like my role and what PCA is trying to do is that we're not going to go back to what, the way it was, but how can we continue to improve the nature of what youth sports has become and how do we make sure that it still is that place where so much good can come out of. You talk about that training a lot. And so yeah. is the goal from your perspective, from Positive Coaching Alliance perspective, to give yeah. that training to those youth coaches, to give a framework of exactly. here is how you teach kids. And does that framework, I guess, two-part question in the sense of it's not a one-size-fits-all framework, meaning at different yeah. stages of life exactly. or different sports even, that framework yeah. could be vastly different. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's it's the mental model that we're trying to give coaches. It's that framework. It's that that expectation. I mean, I used to use this example. You know, I've coached high school and college basketball, but I've never been handed a job description for what that role is going to be, right? So, oh, Jason, he played. He's a good guy. Like, here's the – here, come, come and coach. But it's not like the expectation. So you boil that down to the youth sports level. You have volunteers coming in. How can we not only – here's what's expected of you, but we're going to go the, that extra step and actually give you the training so that you feel better and you feel more equipped to do that. And yes, I mean, we have content that is for youth sports and then we have content that is for high schools. And we know that a high school coach that is with their team six, seven days a week, playing two to three games a week is a lot different than, you know, a travel soccer club that maybe practices once and has a game on the weekend, right? So we know that there's going to be some different things. And as kids get older and things become more competitive, there are different things that people are going to have to look out for. And inside those frameworks, I think is there, and this is a personal curiosity in some way, is there like a core core tenant that sort of spans all of them? There's a core piece of, from a coaching perspective, what translates across all ages and all levels? Yeah. Is there something? No, it's a great question. And it's, um, our trainings are based on, you know, different sports and social psychology, as well as the best practices from the best coaches out there. So, and what we try to do is give coaches not only the framework, but tangible tools and resources to do that. And so our, a lot of our training is, is really grounded in three principles. One of them is redefining winner. And we focus on, you know, not necessarily the scoreboard definition of winning or comparing yourself to others and creating this environment where mistakes are a bad thing. But we want to shift that to a mastery environment where we're focusing on effort, learning each day, and how do we bounce back from mistakes and how do mistakes drive learning? And if you create that mastery environment, then people's confidence, self-confidence goes up, anxiety goes down, they feel more in control. And that means that they're gonna stick to tasks and work harder and, and longer at, at those tasks as well. That translates to like an office setting too, right? If, you, if you're building a team within any walk of life, whether it's a law firm, a finance department, whatever it might be, you want to create that type of environment, which is why we've actually tweaked some of our content and we do corporate training for some in, for managers and things like that. And we talk about positive motivation for managers and how do you create the best team. I think another one of our principles that, that really resonates is when we talk, it's all about communication and we talk about filling the emotional tank and it's like a person's gas tank. And what is that? How are we criticizing and what is, um, how are we giving feedback? Because as coaches, as teachers, as parents, as bosses, we need to give feedback. We need to criticize or correct people. That is a natural um, tank drainer. Like people are going to feel bad when that happens. So what are we going to do to make sure that we're filling them up in a truthful and specific way to keep them at their highest maximum you know, performance level? So we give a lot of tools and resources around that communication between coach and player, coach and parent, you know, manager and, and employee, whatever it might be. So there are a lot of concepts like that, that the through line is consistent, but it might be the tool is a little different, but depending on the age or the environment, but you know, a, a concept like the growth mindset from Carol Dweck, you know, versus a fixed mindset, like that's going to work with third graders. That's going to work with, you know, Fortune 500 companies. So there's a lot of that where it's very translatable to all different types of 
types of you know industries as well as where you are in your life as i look back on, on coaching experiences that i've had it's fascinating because the ones i remember one specifically is that 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 coach harped on what did you learn from this experience whether that was positive or negative Correct. and i remember he was very even keel whether win yep. lose whatever mm-hmm. it would bring you back down so if, if you won what did you learn from this what did you learn yeah. from that experience what did you learn inside of that experience at a granular level and the same with losing and i think it, it, it's kind of cliche or, or you hear it a lot but you do learn a lot oftentimes a lot more from from losing than you do winning and i think that that it's really interesting to see that how yeah. that stuck with me yeah it's it's so interesting um one of my an individual who's become uh, involved with pca we have a national advisory board of coaches and executives and, and athletes um but brad stevens has been involved with pca for a long time got involved when he was the head coach at butler and there's this game that i still remember um it was probably his maybe his second to last or third to last season at Butler and they were playing Gonzaga at um, Hinkle Field House and it was a tie game and I think where they were down one and the Butler player put up a runner at the buzzer and before the ball even went in the basket Brad Stevens was walking towards the opposing coach to shake hands after the game ball goes in Butler wins court storming and Brad Stevens, who's very even keel and like, but, but doesn't change. And somebody asked him about it after the game. And he said, you know what? Like the hay was in the barn already. Like I knew what we were taking from that game, whether that shot went in or that shot went out. So like the win or lose didn't really, like it mattered, but I wasn't going to say, Oh, you know what? Since that shot went in, we don't have to talk about these three things that we need to improve just because we won. So it's thinking about the process, right? It is all around what is the process. And, and we talk a lot about, you know, the effort. And when you talk about goal setting, is it results-based goal setting or is it effort-based goal setting? And I think that's a lot of ways, you know, just last week in, in the class I was teaching at Northwestern, we, we dove into this, you know, from a leadership standpoint, as well as a culture building standpoint, what types of things are you going to emphasize? What types of things are, how are you going to set your goals? How are you going to set expectations? How are you going to hold people accountable? Like all of that is baked into a lot of the content and the resources that we're providing coaches. You know, this could be partly my age or partly just sort of historical context, but we oftentimes think of coaches, I will use the, the phrase, authoritative figure yeah right? for sure and, and, yeah. and i think you mentioned earlier that you know those volunteer coaches they they either go off what they how they were taught right mm-hmm. which sometimes comes from that or what they see on tv now that's changing yeah. from a tv perspective and there's a for lot sure. of great examples you can point to for yeah. that but the the interesting dichotomy with that is there's a lot of those and not to name names but a lot of those authoritative coaching type figures yeah that turned out some pretty great individuals too, and had sure. some the opportunity to mold young men or young women into to really great things in life, but had that sort of more bristly uh, external approach. And so I think it's such a weird thing to square yeah. with today. It, it is real, and I think what what's happening, what we're seeing more and more. I mean, in the last, I want to say, five years, and I think even in the last couple of years, you see it even more and more. Like how many college athletes are coming out right now talking about the mental abuse that they've been taken from their coaches, right? And it's verbal abuse, it's mental abuse, and some really, you know, in in really bad situations, it's it's 
physical or sexual abuse. So like those are all, I think what it, it, I, I compare it to the, the whole like mental, mental wellness conversation and mental health versus physical health, right? Like if somebody breaks their leg and they can't play, it's like, oh, obviously they can't play. But Simone Biles needs to, isn't going to compete in the Olympics because of her mental health and mental wellness. And it's like, well, that's an excuse. That's not legit, right? So the same thing goes to, you know, if, if a coach were to physically hit someone. And I think at some point, like people would say that was acceptable, right? You know, a long time ago. But now, oh, that's never acceptable. But the, the yelling and the mental abuse that's happening, I think you're seeing more and more, you know, athletes standing up and even for legendary coaches that have been in their position for 20 plus years and won X amount of national championships and churned out X amount of Olympians and things like that. And they're saying, listen, like that coach is putting us through hell and we're not going to just sit there and take it anymore. So I think people, I think what, what a lot of things that PCA is talking about in our content is there are better ways to get the best performance out of their athletes besides using, you know, um, you know, using threats as a way to motivate or, um, you know, and, and I, there, there's a, there's a quote that is talking about, and I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure people know that we're about like getting the best out of people and we're not just everyone gets a trophy or anything like that, but it's, you can be demanding as a coach, but don't be demeaning. And there's a, there's a fine line, right? So set the expectation and, you know, hold people accountable, but don't make it about like, you can't be demeaning people. And I think a really, really good coaches coach and critique the action that the person is making versus the person, right? So it's, and I think it's all about the language and communication and how um, people are giving feedback. And again, that translates into all aspects of life. It's incredible how you mentioned you have young children. I have young children. Yeah. How many parallels there are with this oh and, my and being a parent and, and those things. You just mentioned this sort of being demanding versus being demeaning or mm -hmm. that both, you know, you can be demanding. And I think that that's yeah. really interesting because from a, you know, a parenting perspective, if you set those structures in place, the children want to work toward that. They want to achieve those yeah. things. But yeah. as soon as you lead with intimidation and, and exactly. fear. Yeah. That yeah. it's almost like taking it at a at a parenting level. I have a three and a half year old. You get yeah. to see it in its most primal form because mm -hmm. as soon as you lead with something that is whether it's threat or intimidation or those types of things, it, they don't respond to it. And, right. and so you can see how later in life that that would certainly, certainly build. And so it's incredible, like you said, how many places this can translate to in life. And I think the other thing that um, the evolution of just society and current youth and what they're doing, I remember this was pretty early on my days at PCA, probably, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. And there was an article about a high school football team and the coach did an athletic director did exit interviews at the end of the season with all the players. And what they learned was that players were like, Hey coach, when you start like grabbing face masks and going nuts on the sideline and yelling at everybody, you know what we do? We tune you out and we just like shut down. So that was something that maybe 30, 40 years ago was like, Oh, that's how we're going to motivate people. But that's changing. And if so, and, and if you look at, like, look at the top teams in, in professional sports, right? So you have Steve Kerr, who, you know, coaching philosophy, 
is four things, joy, mindfulness, compassion, and competition. Those are the, his, that's his coaching philosophy. That's, that drives everything that they do there. You look at who just won the Super Bowl, Sean McVay. So many articles out there of a positive culture and the way that he does things and focusing on positive and building people up and not tearing people down and then building up, right? So if you're looking like there is definitely a sea change here of what is that model coach and how can you do it? And I think those are examples of coaches that are doing things in a way that you can still get that that best result. And it's not like, oh, they're just soft and they're not going to win games because they're just about like, you know, being happy and make sure everybody has fun. It's like, no, you can do both and still perform at the highest level. Also, 30, 40 years ago, those exit interviews wouldn't happen. A coach would right, say, exactly. right, right, right. Yeah. This is how <laughs> it's done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have no desire to, to get your opinion about how I coach. And so I think that's a yeah. really cool evolution of that. And you led to something that I was really interested in is yeah. who's doing it well. And I yeah. think obviously the first name that popped to mind was the first name that you said, because if you yeah. just watch him on television, you see it last week and unfortunate, yeah. an unfortunate situation right. where for, unfortunate for everyone in so many facets of life, but unfortunate in the sense that he gets asked about it, but his response to that, forget basketball, it was one of the best responses from any human being to those types of situations. And you can see how something like that and the compassion that he has inside of there and, and the thoughts of the mindfulness that's there could translate really well yeah. to coaching. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there are so many people, like that's one of the, you know, I. I obviously have my allegiances to some of my favorite teams, but I've become somebody that roots for the coaches, right. That, that are doing it really well. And, you know, even if you look at the college level, Adia Barnes, university of Arizona women's basketball coach, like I would love to play for her. You watch her. She brought Arizona to the, the final four, um, two years ago. And every time something was happening on the sideline and her players were looking at her, she had the biggest smile on her face and you could tell just, how bought in they were to her and how hard they played for her and PCA. We've done some um, things with her and just hearing about how she builds that culture and builds that family. Um, we have, you know, um, she used to be here down here in Chicago, but Aaron Chastain, who's the head women's soccer coach up at university of Minnesota, she used to be at the Paul, the, the culture that she brings to her program and how she talks about just like all the girls being bought into and the women being bought into her program and the culture and how she recruits players to fit in that and how they how they become this family. Like there are so many examples at all different levels that, yeah, you see the Steve Curry, you see Brad Stevens, Sean McVay um, that are really doing it well. And and that's not to say that they're, you know, you know, they're, they're not going to get teed up or, you know, they're not going to go after a ref because guess what? Like, Steve Kerr gets paid to win games and win championships and he's going to do everything to do that. But he also has the wherewithal that, Hey, this is also, there, there's a lot bigger things than basketball here. And I'm going to use my platform to be able to do that. So I think when you think of coaches that are really taking that holistic approach, um, you know, players want to play for them and they want to be connected with them. And I think you're seeing more and more coaches change and the ones that are, those old school coaches, you know, they're either retiring or people don't want to play for them or they're just saying, you know what, like, why would I be taking this mental and verbal abuse when I can go and feel like I'm part of a, a much better culture? So 
there's so many layers to it. There's yeah. there's so many things that I, I could sit here and talk to you all day about yeah. this. There's so many really cool things. I think I'll get you out on this on this question yeah. though. I think there's so many of us that are involved in sports and you mentioned yeah. it and with that a lot of us become involved in some level of coaching in some way, whether it's at the youth level, whether it's at mm-hmm. a higher level, whether it's at, even at an operations level where you're involved with coaches and so on. Yeah. To all of us that do that, if there was one sort of core important thing that you could could impart on people about coaching, what would that be? You know, it, it's, it's going to be really simple. Um, and it's interesting, like the, I'm not sure if, if Bryce, if you watched, but, or if um, others listening watched Ted Lasso, but Ted Lasso, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> during the pandemic, we started to get a lot of, you know, on social media, people would be like, oh, I love this Ted Lasso show. It reminds me so much of Positive Coaching Alliance, right? And just there, there's a lot of, and so I think that show, you know, we, we actually were interviewed in the Wall Street Journal last summer before season two, and we were on Good Morning America talking about like the, the role of that show and what's it say about youth sports and, and all sports and coaching right now. And the reporter from the Wall Street Journal, we were talking about it and he was like, I don't think, he was like, do you think Ted Lasso could have been made 25 years ago? Like, were we ready for that type of, you know, was it realistic to, to have that type of environment? But I say that because if you think about some of the really, whether it's Hokey or, you know, the things that are in Ted Lasso, but when you talk to, and one of the things I love doing in the class that I teach at, at Northwestern is bringing in guest speakers from teams that are, you know, and they talk about that. And I think the, the, the through line in so many conversations is, you know, we have somebody that comes in from the Golden State Warriors each year, and he talks about look at the leadership of our organization. You have Bob Myers, the general manager. You have Steve Kerr, the coach. You have Steph Curry, like three of the greatest human beings that are leading the way for us. So he was like, I don't want to like simplify this, but being a good person and being kind and being respectful to others, like that goes a long way. And I think we've lost that in a lot of our, in a lot of situations over the last few years. But as simple as that might sound, it's like, how am, how can I be a good person and be kind and be in this and, and be a hard worker? Like those are things that everybody has control over doing. So it's not this special sauce, like, well, you know what? Like I can't do that because I'm not in that position. Everybody has the ability to do that. So um, I think those are the things that really, when you think about it, we talk about that in our class when, you know, uh, we talk to our students, like what's your leadership model and what do you want to, you know, build that to become yourself as a leader. And I think those things that they might sound really simple, but they're sometimes the hardest things to do, even we, as we were talking about coaching earlier, like it is, it's hard to be a positive coach, right? Like we need to work at that. And so I think that's one of the things that PCA wants to do is provide those tools and resources um, to all those that are involved. And whether that's with, through our partnerships at the grassroots level, through our partnerships with professional sports teams or corporate sponsors that want to, you know, like sponsor our content and do a whole digital campaign. Like it's, it's great how we've now intersected with so many different uh, parts of the sports business world. So it's not only great advice from a coaching perspective, but it really is great life advice in general, because I I do think that a lot of the things we talked about really boiled down to that. So Jason, thank you so much for for taking time. It's really insightful. It's really fun to catch up about this and and really cool to see the positive change that happens. Awesome. No, thanks for so much for having me. I love being a part of, um, you know, the the Northwestern MSA program and uh, yeah, looking forward to more opportunities to share the PCA message with everyone. 